Hey, what's up? It's your boy Anthony Cass Clark, and welcome to another edition of Thoughts Over Coffee Daily. Good people of the world, what is up? I hope that all is well, all is well on this side. Today is a special episode, as always, uh, but I'm featuring a podcast that I'm a recent fan of. It's called Earn Your Leisure. So recently, Earn Your Leisure had DJ Envy and his real estate partner, Flippin' NJ, a.k.a. Caesar, uh, as guests. They had him on as guests. And if you know anything about DJ Envy and Caesar, these guys are killing it up north in Detroit, New York. Caesar has over, I oh my God, I don't want to. I don't want to butcher it, but over hundreds of properties, hundreds and hundreds of property. So does DJ Envy. He's in the game with Caesar. They're partners in real estate, and um, they're just dropping a lot of knowledge on real estate, on how to flip real estate, how to how to build, how to buy property. And um, Earn Your Leisure does such a great job. They sit down with these people and they get the real answers out of them. So I felt like it was only right. But to feature this episode on Thoughts Over Coffee Daily, because as you know, if I find it valuable, then I want to share it with you because you might find it valuable. I feel like if you listen to this podcast, we have the same type of, uh, for lack of a better term, taste buds. <laughs> so I want to share with you, Earn Your Leisure, featuring DJ Envy and Caesar. Without further ado, here it is. Let's go. But we're going to jump right into it. So we got an extremely special episode today. If you listen to the podcast, you know that, you know, some of your favorite episodes have been from MG, the mortgage guy. Shout out um, to Matt. <laughs> Change his name on it. <laughs> That's a fact. Matt came on our podcast as Matt Garland, and he left the podcast <laughs> with 30,000 new followers and MG, the mortgage guy. He's, he's our most prestigious alumni so far. And then um, Lord of the Slums, Fernando. Shout out to him. That's another classic episode for yeah, us. He's actually the number one episode right now. He is on, on audio. It's a fact. Yeah. And um, man, like, <laughs> and um, Sabine also. Yeah, shout out to Sabine. Shout out to Sabine. All so live. the thing that all of those people have in common is that they're all on tour with DJ Envy and Caesar flipping MJ, um, as, as we said in each one of their podcasts. So we got the source here today, yeah. right? Yeah, shout yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we got DJ Envy and we got Caesar Pena, um, flipping NJ. So first and foremost, thank you guys. Nah, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, appreciate nah, sure. it. Nah, appreciate it. So if you aren't familiar, um, these guys are moguls in the in the real estate game. I mean, obviously, you all know who DJ Envy is. You listen to the Breakfast Club every single day. Um, but to me, I think that you know what you're doing now in real estate is even more impressive than what you're doing on the entertainment side. And Appreciate also, that. I like how you're, you're using the platform to educate, right? Because right? you right. could just be getting money and keep it a secret, mm -hmm. yeah. but you know, you're know you educating. And mm -hmm. to me, that, that's even more impressive than your, you know, your legendary career in music. Appreciate that. Yeah. And um, if you don't know Caesar, you need to know Caesar. Get familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caesar is the landlord of Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> the guy's a legend. Yeah, we, we, we was just... When we spoke to him last time, it was 600 units. Like he said, nah, nah. The, the new number is 900. 900. 900, 900, 900 units. Um, just a really remarkable guy, a really remarkable story. So I want to start I want to start with you, Caesar, because you, you got a really interesting story as far as how you got started. And we was just talking off camera. So can you give us some backstory about how you came into, because, all right, humble beginnings. 
and then you are a returning citizen, yeah. right? As um the good pastor Jamal Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we took that. <laughs> You're a returning citizen, and um, yeah, can you just talk about your whole journey? Uh, pretty much, you know, I graduated high school back in 1997. Um, I, um, I have a high school diploma. That's pretty much it. Um, self-educated. I don't have a fancy degree. When all of my friends went to college, I chose the streets. Um, people used to tell me, look, man, you're doing the wrong thing. If you keep on going the route that you're going, you're going to end up in prison. Like, now I'm good, blah, blah, whatever. So I ended up in prison. Uh, back in, I want to say, 2005, I went in, which uh, my story's kind of crazy. Uh, me and my wife been together 20 years. She was, she's my ride or die. The day that I actually went into prison, I got married that morning. Mm. Went out to dinner with the whole family and turned myself in in the afternoon to start my, uh, my, my federal prison sentence. It was short term. It wasn't long term. I was in there for about, I want to say a little bit less than two years. I came home. I, well, besides that, I actually met a guy that ins inspired me to do real estate while I was in there. And I looked up to him. You know, he came in. He wasn't a street dude, so I kind of taught him how to bid a little bit, and, you know, how everything works in the inside. And uh, we just clicked. Uh, he was mentoring me while I was in there. Then I came out in 2006, January, end of January, around there, 2006, uh, to the halfway house. So I got to the halfway house, which was in Newark at that time. It was called uh, this place called Kintock. And I got lucky when I got in there. Everybody's looking for jobs. Everybody's going to, uh, they, they call it over here in Jersey, one stop, where you go to uh, fill out applications and see if somebody will hire you when you come home. And uh, there was actually a guy in there um, that he was doing mortgages, right? And he was recruiting people from the halfway house to do mortgages. And then I got, I started doing mortgages and I took off. You know, uh, I'm, I'm good at talking to people. You know, I'm a natural born hustler. And um, I had like maybe a year and a half, two year run, you know, coming out of home, out of prison with no money to being making fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month. Doing mortgages. Doing mortgages. That was great. That's that was, when I, I meet you. You want a loan? Let's go. State of income. State of income. State of income. Pre-2008. State of income. We talked about that before. That was crazy. I remember my first loan, which is crazy, was this lady. I don't want to mention her name, but uh, she was like 85 years old. She was on Social Security, and I still got her a loan for 400000 <laughs> You know, it, it, it's something that you're like, how the hell did that happen? But yeah. back then, you know, it, it was the Cowboys day, the Cowboys day. So the market went down, and I opened up a restaurant. My wife is Cuban, so we opened up a Cuban restaurant. My mother-in-law is a chef. So it was a horrible idea. I wasn't in the restaurant business. My wife wasn't in the restaurant business. And uh, my mother-in-law was, but she was only a chef. She never really knew numbers and stuff like that, how everything worked. So we lost everything. Uh, houses were in pre-foreclosure. Everybody's then everybody's running away from the real estate market because it's going down. You know, there was a, the financial crisis started. And I saw an opportunity. I did one real estate deal. I made 70 grand and I closed that restaurant the next day. Closing up shop. That's dope. <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. So, so Envy, um, can we talk? Can we talk about your journey into real estate? Um, like, what made you say, like, this is it? This is something I'm really passionate about. Um, well, I got my first real check. Uh, I'm from Queens. I got my first real check when it's uh, I was riding my motorcycle, and a lady crashed into me on the highway. When she crashed into me on the highway, you know, I fell. I was sliding down the highway, 
and I jumped up and uh, I patted myself to make sure I had no broken bones or nothing like that and I was good. A doctor had seen the accident, a white doctor, and he jumped out the car and was like, oh my gosh, sit down. I'm like, nah, nah I'm good. I got to get my jewelry because I have my jewelry on. I got to get my jewelry <laughs> off the highway. I just paid for that. And he, and he was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, nah, I got to get my jewelry. He's like, no, sit down. I'll get your jewelry. I was like, all right. So he sat, he was talking to me aggressive too. <laughs> he got the jewelry. He came back. He was like, call an ambulance. I'm like, nah, I'm good. He's like, call an ambulance. Gosh, are you stupid? Now, mind you, why you got told me aggressive? <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me call an ambulance. So I called the ambulance. They picked me up and um, took me to the, there was nothing really wrong. Had like a little scrape, scrape on my knee. Long story short, it was like, you know, I, I'm like any other kid from the hood. I called Jacoby Myers. <laughs> you know, really I called Jacoby Myers. And I was like, I'm a sue. So Jacoby and Myers heard what happened. It was like, bet, you got to go to rehab every day. You got to go to the dime. I'm like, at this time, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not wasting my summer fucking with y'all. Can I curse on you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You already on. You already on. You already on. No, I'm saying you already on as a DJ. Not, I wasn't on on. Okay, I was just okay. DJ Envy doing mixtapes. Okay. I wasn't on on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have no expensive cars or nothing uh, like that. Early 2000s. Early 2000s. Gotcha, My gotcha. chain was probably like $1,500 at the time, like yeah. straight off of, of, of Queens, uh, of the Coliseum. But um, so it was like, I was like, I called the insurance company. I was like, look. I was going to sue y'all. I'm not going to sue y'all. Just pay for my motorcycle, pay for my hospital bill. And they was like, you really not going to sue? And I'm like, nah. They was like, come right now and get the check. I said, all right. So me and my pops got in the car. We drove out to uh, Long Island. Now, mind you, my bike was like eight grand. Hospital bills was two grand. I thought they were going to give me like $11,000 check, $12,000 check. They wound up giving me a $75,000 check. Oh, wow. At that time, I think I'm 20 years old, 21 years old at the time. So I'm like, Oh shit, I'm about to get a new car, rim <laughs> system, all that. Um, but my wife was like, nah, we need to get a crib. So I was like, all right, bet, let's go buy a house. So we, 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 we're looking for houses in Long Island, too expensive. Looking for houses everywhere else, too expensive. So she found a place called West Milford out in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Now, West Milford is the area where they shot like the Jason movies. It's all forest and all woods. So I was like, you know what? My wife was like, this is all we can afford. So I was like, all right, let's buy it. So we, we paid like, I would say maybe 400000 for the house at the time. Um, but it was too far from the city. Every time I would drive, do a club drive back, I would fall asleep. So I was like, you know what? We need to sell this house. So after being in that house for about four months, we sold it and I made $120,000 selling that house. Mm. And I was like, shit, this is better than music. <laughs> and I just started buying houses, but it was what I didn't really know. I would buy the house, live in it, sell it, flip it, make it money. I, I was like, I would live in it and use my furniture and spice it up and people would love it and, and, and buy it. And I was doing that for a lot to the one point I had like two, three homes and then the market hit. Mm. And it wasn't that people didn't want the houses because now at this point I'm, I'm looking at like million dollar houses. I'm buying million dollar houses because I can get the loans. It was people couldn't get the loans. Mm. So I had football players, artists, uh, you name it, looking at my homes, but they couldn't pay for it. So at one time I had three homes. And when I say I was doing everything possible for money, I sold jewelry, I sold my cars, I was doing four or five clubs a night. It, if you say, yo, I got 200 for you, Envy, I'm coming to spend because I had to pay those mortgages. Yeah. And that's how I got into it. And then after I I, I kind of paid those houses off and sold those houses, I was like, I'm never getting back into real estate again. I was like, it's too too shifty for me. And then I, um, Angela Yee introduced me to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at the houses in Detroit, you could buy a house for fifteen grand, and I couldn't. I, 
I couldn't fathom it. I'm like, a whole house? That's a chain. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> now, this is what I'm making money. So I'm like, yeah. shit. Take so, five of them. <laughs> so that's, what we, that's really what we did. We, we picked up like three, four houses, and we just sat on them, paid the taxes to the point now where they just cut us a check for like over 200 grand for two houses. That you originally paid 15000 That I originally paid 15000 for. Yeah. And only all I did was just pay the taxes. So no, no fix-up, no nothing. I ain't fixed. I, one, I did a little bit. The other one, it still has the boards up on the windows. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and then I met Caesar and uh the way I met Caesar is I was doing the house stuff, you know, small and, and, and trying to encourage people to invest. Um a lot of times when I go into these auction houses and I go to buy these houses, I don't see too many people that look like us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's usually white people, Jewish people, Indian people, uh everybody else but but black and Spanish. So I was like, nah, we gotta get our own. I met, you know, and and Nit the Grit, who is Fetty Wap's I don't want to say Fetty Wap's manager, but Fetty Wap is signed to his production company. He called me. He was like, yo, my man wants to highlight you. He want, you know, he's into real estate. And I was like, I, you know, everybody says they're into real estate. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's in real estate. Right. So he was like, yo, he wants to meet up with you. So I was like, all right, cool. We met up. And then he told me about all the stuff that he had. We was in his office. And he was like, I want to show you. And I'm from Queens, so I was like, I'm not getting in the car with you so you can show me something in Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, you know I was like, you're going to try to rob me. I'm like, this is, you know, this is crazy. But, uh, you know, we, I, I did get in the car. He showed me all the stuff, and, and the rest is history. And, then, you know, I, I've been diving in head first ever since. Yeah, well, one of the things Caesar said is that he um, had mentorship in, in one of the, you know, places that people probably think that he wouldn't, and he found that mentorship in prison. My question to you is, like, was there somebody that mentored you along the way, or was it something you're just going to learn as you go? Now for me, it's it's like when I see something, I just go attack it. I don't. I'm I'm not really good with people, and the reason I say I'm not good with people is because most people don't have the the drive that I have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People always say they're gonna do something, but they never do it. So with me, it's, it's usually I just figure it out until I bump my head and then try to make it work. So I didn't have any mentor. There was nobody that I looked at. That's why I think me and Caesar get along so well because we have the same drive. You call him at two in the morning, he's on auction.com, he's looking at properties. You call me two in the morning, I'm in the club, and we're just always thinking about what's next, you know what I mean? Besides doing, you know, buying buildings and, and buying vacant land, it's like those are good, but what's next? Like, you know, it's not just our drive is so strong that we jump into things that we necessarily don't know a lot about, but we do. We just know that our drive is there. Like we, we created a production company, signed our first artist, and then did a distribution deal with a record label. Like we have our own record label that's distri- that's distributed that we're putting actually artists out. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is crazy to me. You know, um. So we do a lot of things, and it's based on drive. Like even like you know the backpack giveaways. We do backpack giveaways. It's not one of those things where we if we think about it. If I don't call, Caesar's gonna call and get it done, and that's just just who we are as people. Uh, Caesar, I want to ask you a question um, because you're interesting. Because people people always kind of make excuses in life, right? So they look at DJ Envy and they say, "Okay, he's doing his thing, but he's already a celebrity, right?" Mm-hmm. But you, you're not a celebrity; just a yeah. regular person, right? So I talked to you about this off camera. Can you just explain? Okay, you have 900 units, right? How do you go from having one house to blowing up in a short period of time, if you really think about it? It's not a long period of time. I'm talking less than 10 years. How, like, you told me with the hard money and, and that kind of really springboarded you. Can you just briefly talk about that? So pretty much when I came home, like I said, you know, I'm self-educated. So it's one of those things where I didn't have anybody around me besides the brief period that I spent with my buddy uh, while I was away uh, t- teaching me the ropes. So whenever I will get a property it would be all the money I had on one particular property. And that was like year two, up to year two. Then uh, I learned about leveraging my money 
private financing and the different programs that are out there. For example, most people don't probably don't understand this part of it. If you want to buy a property that's complete rehab, um, there's not conventional products that exist for that, except a, a FHA 203K. Mm -hmm. You will have to go private financing. So at that time, when I was buying all these properties, it was when the market was down and all these properties, you know, in urban areas, they're always messed up, like completely destroyed. They steal the plumbing. They steal everything. So year number two, I had this guy that used to call me all the time. I don't know how he got my number. Me and him actually have a relationship to this day. His name, his name is Sal. He's a hard money lender. And he's like, oh, you're using your own money. You're doing it the wrong way, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, forget that. Um, I have my own money. I don't need to borrow from anybody. And then I listened to him. I did one deal. And I was like, shit, you know what? I just stretched my money. Instead of buying one property, I bought five. So next thing you know, year number two, year three, instead of me doing two to three deals a year, now I'm doing five to ten. And then it went from ten to twenty and then to fifty. When I first started, I just wanted to make $5,000 a month in rental income. I wanted to make five grand net every month. And then it went from I hit that goal of hitting 5000 to hitting 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, 200. You know, I don't want to keep that. Turn the numbers up. Hey, I, I, I just kept on going. Uh, but in real estate, there's so many different levels. When I first started, I was just buying, you know, two family homes, three family homes. Then, uh, and I was doing flips too. I do 15 to 20 flips a year. I think it's a great flipping mar market right now. You know, there's a lot of money in that. Everybody's buying. There's no inventory. So there's a lot of opportunity in that. So I used to. I started with the two to three family homes. Year four, three, I, fought my, I bought my first uh, commercial building, which was uh, 12 units, two storefronts, and uh, 10 apartments. It was a great deal. Uh, this was when the market was down. I got it as a short sale. It, uh, I got it for like 400000 Ended up being, as I was buying it, didn't need any work. And just because uh, commercial properties is kind of like a different animal, is based on the income of the property not based on the market on the sales, on comparable sales like residential stuff. So that building, even though I got it for 400000 it was really worth $1.2 mm. So then I was able to refinance and take out money mm. and kind of like what I was doing with the smaller properties, same thing, just on, on the bigger scale. And then I kept on going buying more commercial buildings. I bought another one, another one, still buying the smaller rental properties too. And now I'm at the next level, which is now I'm, I'm developing yeah, we, projects. yeah, we're gonna talk about that. So, yeah. all right. So, I just a question. This is I got some just questions for for both of you guys, as far as um for the average person, right? When you guys are looking at homes, like, do you have a formula as far as cash flow to say, okay, the mortgage on this is gonna be two thousand a month. I need to make two thousand, so this has to be built in. Like, what should for me? Evaluate that? I like making anywhere between fifteen hundred to two thousand a month net. Uh, in other areas, you know, like New Jersey, you could still do that. You could still buy a property. You know, uh, anywhere between 250 to 350 and still cash flow, even if you're an FHA buyer that's going to buy something on the higher end. So I like to make 1500 to 2000 a month net after paying all my expenses on smaller properties. Yeah, me around the same. I mean, it's, it's you know, we usually look at uh, if it's three families or more, we keep. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's two families and less, we usually flip. Um, that's why a lot of the other markets, the profit is not as big, especially with rentals. I mean, I think in Detroit, we were looking like, uh, I think the house, somebody wanted to rent out one of my homes. And it was like $900 for a, a whole home. You know what I mean? We're here, we're getting 1700 a floor. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, you know, in, in Detroit, it's more you hold it and, and flip it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That rental market for, for me is just not worth it. It's not yeah. worth the headache. On the rehab side, one of the things you guys are doing, I think is pretty interesting. is like you got to have an autopilot system 
yep. of rehabbing. It's mm -hmm. like, we're not trying to change anything. We're going to make everything the same. Is there something that sparked that? I mean, I, I, you know, going around and seeing his houses, I'm like, what? Why, the, why is everything the same damn color? Like, why is all the cabinetry the same? The floors is the same. I'm like, like this guy sees it, ain't got no style. Like, just, <laughs> but then he told me he was like, nah. He was like, you know, I don't want to pay my workers to think. Like, I just really want them to know. Look, when we come into this property, you know, the floor is gonna be this, the walls are gonna be this, the cabinets are gonna be this, and that's what it is. The toilets are gonna be this, and then. I could buy it at bulk because I'm usually using the same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's genius. So, mm. and that even works for me because usually it's Poppy is the one that's doing the work in the crib and I don't speak Spanish. So <laughs> now when it comes to Poppy, I ain't got to have that conversation. Poppy knows the walls is this, the floors is this, you know, the cabinetry is that. And I think it works out the best. Um, so I know you guys um, have a partnership with auction.com. Do, do you get um, properties from auctions? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the process for that? For like, Well, first of all, let me just tell you that he... Caesar is on the website so much that <laughs> I had to look to make sure it wasn't a porn site. <laughs> For real, like we be talking, he be on. I'm like, is this guy watching porn? But he's he's on that site. So I mean, all the auction houses, and I could say that the, the you know the, whether it's Hubzu or Auction.com is pretty much the same. Yeah, it, it all depends. You know, Auction.com is the biggest in the country, and they have the most inventory. Uh, Hubzu is pretty good too. Uh, so I, I get deals from Auction.com or Hubzu. But like, what do people look? So, all right, the average person that doesn't know anything yeah. about real estate, they go on to auction.com, right? Mm -hmm. What do they do? Like, how do they know this is a good? Because it's kind of like shopping without actually, you don't know what you're getting, right? Well, so, like, what's the process for that? When you go on the actual site, it will, it will tell you if the property is vacant, or if, and if it's not vacant, it also tells you that you can't inspect it. Okay. So you kind of, you know, for somebody starting out, I would definitely try to look for the properties that are vacant, so you can kind of take a look and see what's going on. Uh, but sometimes too, man, you know, you got tenants in there and you want to look at the property or a, a homeowner is still there, go talk to them, give them 50 bucks, let me see the property and then you can get a better idea. But pretty much auction.com is just like anything else. You just check out marketable sales in that area, uh, figure out what stuff is selling for and then you know if it's a good deal or not. Yeah. One of the things you said is like the worse the condition, the better for you. Like when you see bad plumbing or you, you see like there's a, a, a heater that's broken or something like that, you're like, yes. Why, why, why is that? because well, that, that's something that I could add value to. So the most messed up the house is, the cheaper I'm going to get it. Because remember, most of these bank banks, as far as when it comes to foreclosures or asset managers, they don't know what real cost is. So they look at a property like, oh, man, the house is messed up. You know what? I'm going to sell it for 100000 when sometimes the work could be twenty grand, thirty grand, and now the house is worth three fifty, three ninety. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, it, that, that's one of the, that's why I like, uh, especially REO properties, foreclosed properties, because you can add the most value to them. He's a little different than me. He, he <laughs> like he can bid on a property and not see it. He just knows the area. I'm not like that. Like I need to touch it. I need to make sure it really exists. <laughs> That's just me. Like I like I go into a crib. I mean, I mean, one time I went to go see a crib and, and uh, the neighbor called the police on me. And and this is why you know uh, I'm getting my real estate license. Okay. Uh, okay. And so and the reason is I don't need it. But that day, I felt so funny that I was just a, it was an odd feeling. Yeah. So it was a property that we were looking at. And um, me and Caesar went to go check it out. And I was like, you know what? Let me take my wife and daughter. Because I was actually thinking about the crib for myself to keep. So I took them. And then uh, it was in a white neighborhood. And I guess when I pulled up, the neighbors see me in the house and call the police. Mm. So when I come out the the crib, the cops are there. Yeah. Like, can I help you? <laughs> we got to call it. You're vandalizing this property. 
Now, mind you, I don't have my real estate license, so I'm not supposed to be in the property. Yeah. Uh, it is trespassing at that point. <laughs> so I'm calling Caesar like, help. Yeah, I'm like, that's help. all I asked you? And Caesar's like, tell him reference numbers. I'm like, nigga. <laughs> so luckily what happened was there was a real estate agent there. So when he seen the agent, he took that guy's car too. So I kind of just, kind of just slid out, got in my car, and took the fuck off. But yeah. after that, I was like, it just, I, I, it just felt funny, and I was like, for then, uh, when I walk into a property, I want somebody to pull me over. Like I got my fucking license, bitch. You know what I mean? So if you got license, you can just go into properties. Yep, mm -hmm. pretty much. Any property? Yeah, you pretty much. Uh, with the auction properties, uh, you go online and you just ask for the uh, the lockbox code to get in, and they send it to you. They'll they'll tell you, all right, uh, send us over your real estate license number, and that's it. How do you guys find properties? Like outside of the internet, like um, how do you? Because I know you said that you you constantly look for yeah, properties, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Every pretty, day, it's pretty much relationships too. You know, over time, agents know who you are, and they know that once you they have a property and you sign that dotted line, that you're gonna close on it. People contact you. Yeah, again, mm -hmm. agents, uh, DMs, you know, estate sales, too. emails, texts. Uh, dealing with a lot of estate attorneys is pretty good too. That's a good way of finding properties, and you know, it, it's just I just don't stop looking for deals so it could be an auction site it could be an agent it could be me driving by me knocking on somebody's door you still uh, knock on doors if i if it's a grand slam i'm, knocking <laughs> door, man. Uh, I'm, pulling, I'm, I'm going over in my jordans man you know i want that property yeah. and, uh, you know it's just one of those things like i'll give you guys an example how i'm real estate 24 7 it's two in the morning i couldn't sleep that night it was two or three in the morning i forgot what it was and uh i found a property in miami beach on Hubzoo, right? Six hundred thousand. I'm just looking at the map. I'm in Jersey. So it looks like a good deal. I look at the comps. I pick it up for six hundred thousand. When I go down there, all the agents down there and the contractors and architects are looking at me. They're like, "How the hell did you get this property?" I was like, "Well, I couldn't go to sleep that night. I left that at three in the morning. And I bid on it. So I got this property for six hundred thousand. It needs about two hundred into it. Three hundred. It's worth about one point four million. Mm -hmm. Mind you, it's around the corner from Elton John's house. Mm -hmm. It's oh, around wow. the corner from Jennifer Lopez's old house. So it's in a perfect prime area. So it's, when I say home run, home run. So just being up at that time led you to having that? Yeah. And having balls. Like he has, he doesn't have to see a property. He's I do. Like I would, <laughs> I would have to fly down and see it, so I would have lost it. But he, he bit on it and took it. Well, Envy, I want, oh, I want to ask you a question, Envy. Um, so when Matt was on our podcast, he said that you had a philosophy of so. Shameless plug. Assets over liability. That's like our slogan, yeah, right? right? So uh, he said that you don't buy. Everybody knows you. You do the cars, right? Mm -hmm. But he said that you don't buy any luxury item if you don't have an asset to pay for it, right? Correct. Can you just talk about that? I think mindset is important because we talk about even you know it's an unfortunate situation. I saw when T Pain was on the Breakfast Club, and he talked about how he you know went through forty million. Mm -hmm. um, but I always tell people all, all the time, like you know, if you have the right mindset, you could be poor and you'll be rich. Or you can be rich and then eventually you'll be poor. Absolutely. So how, can you talk about that mindset and when did you develop that mindset as opposed to just doing, you know, what regular people do is just spend money? Um, I think it's, it's for me, if you know me, it's I, I try to make money off of everything. You know what I mean? So even when I get into cars, you know, years ago, my idea was to do a car show. Um, so that's what I was setting up for. You know what I mean? But I didn't want to do a car show where it was gimmicky, like where people have to do a car show and it's based on the artist performing or based on something like that. I wanted to do, I wanted people to realize that I'm a really, a, a real car dude. Um, so for myself, I just started collecting cars and yeah, the cars cost me my, a lot of money, but now I got a car show that we're taking on the road and that 
pays for his car times 10. And not only that, anytime I try to purchase something or buy something, I try to make sure an investment will pay for it or is going to pay for it. So for instance, you know, me and my family looking to move, we need more room. And, you know, the first thing we did before I, I did that is, is season I bought a school. Now that school will really, once it's done, will pay for that property. You know what I mean? So I don't necessarily have to worry about extra income coming in or what the breakfast club is doing or if I'm DJing this show this week. And that's how I look at everything. If I want to purchase a car, I make sure a property that we purchased or an investment that I do is is actually going to pay for that vehicle. So it's not really coming out of my pocket, not really coming out of the bank. Yeah, man. I mean, you epitomize hustling for your last name, right? Mm -hmm. So what are the things that you're teaching, like five kids, right? Five, yep. What are the things that you're teaching them at the level that they're at? Um, right now, um, they see how hard I work, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. They know that it's, it's, you know, in some families, they get stuff easy. You know, my kids see how hard I work. They see what I do. And a lot of times they come with me. Second of all, for them, um, I'm a little different. Like, I, I really want them to enjoy life. You know what I mean? A lot of times we do things that we don't want to do. And we only here for one life. So why, why am I going to work myself into the ground? So I want them to be happy. So I, I tell them this all the time. You know, you tell me what you want to do and then let's make it a business. Mm-hmm. You know, if my son wants to be a, a garbage man and he wants to work for sanitation, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But what we're going to do is we're going to turn it into a business. Let's buy 10 trucks and make it a, a sanitation business. You know what I mean? Yeah. If my, you know, if my daughter wants to, I don't know, wants to do nails, you know, that's cool. Let's, let's turn it into a business. Let's open up 10 shops and create it and create that type of business. So it's something that you don't necessarily have to depend on yourself. You know, you got 10 businesses and, and well, let's say each one of those businesses bring you $5,000 a month. That's $50,000 a month. That's taking care of you and your family. And that's that's how I'm making them look at life. You know, for myself, my dad was a, a police officer. My mom's worked for Guardian Life Insurance. They had to work for 30 years, had to. Mm-hmm. And then when they retired, they I mean, I didn't get nothing. You know what I mean? You know, when they passed, I probably, besides the house, I'm not, they're not leaving me a fortune, you know, but I wanted to change that. I was the first person in my school, my, my family to go to college. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. So I just want to make sure that I'm also the first person in my family to make sure that the money's passed down generationally, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and teaching them how to do it. That's important. That's important. So, That's all right, so you talk about the schools. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about um, the development that you guys are going into. All right, so now we're going to talk about um, the next level of graduation, if you would, as far as real estate investing, right? Because um, you started out doing single-family, multi-homes, mm-hmm. but now you guys are doing big business, right? Commercial real estate, 80 units. So we just talked about your school that you brought, and you're turning into a 60-unit um, commercial property, and then you're doing another 80-unit property, and then you say you had a 100-unit property. So... For the average person, right? This is why we started the podcast too, right? Because like you said, in our community, there's no mentorship. So you don't really know, right? Yep. Then you just kind of yeah. wing it. You can go on YouTube and try to hear these gurus talk, but a lot of times they speak in a language that the average person can't understand, right? right. What ends up happening is that people feel intimidated and it's human nature. When you don't feel comfortable about something, you just stay in your zone. Mm-hmm. Right. So that happens all the time. Like you said, sanitation. Sanitation is huge where we come from and it's like, that's because that's like a lottery ticket where it's like, that's a good job. You yeah. work 30 years, you get a pension and stuff like that, right? Reason being is that you don't really see a lot of entrepreneurs. This is why sports entertainment is so big because every community has one rapper, one basketball player, football player. So you, you that's attainable. You know what I mean? Like you can see, mm-hmm. okay, that I can actually do this. I don't know if I could be a, a real estate mogul, 
because I don't know anybody. I've right? never seen one. So this right. is why we started the podcast. We want to create a platform for, for people that are from our culture, that look like us, that are doing it extremely big to give motivation and inspiration to anybody to show that you can do it as well, right? But it's also education as well, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with commercial properties, right? There's a lot that goes into it. Permits, like what's the what's the process is that as far as like getting a permit for a commercial building? I would assume it's different from just buying a regular home. Like it's more involved, right? Well, it, it depends. If it's an existing uh, structure or is it, is it on an existing commercial building, same thing. It's still going to the build, building department. Okay. Um, but it, when you talk about developing, it's a totally different thing. Um, you know, costs are different. For example, I don't know what, what you want me to break down. A, a well, more, like, a so small like small two family, or you want to go to, to the big stuff? Yeah, yeah. So just the um. All right. So let's talk about the architecture. Okay. Right? You guys are looking at blueprints, or you hire an architect to kind of like do that? Like, how does that? Can you just walk us through, like, from buying a building to actually building it and? Okay. Having a well, first, so, give, give the mind frame of, of what made you even think about buying a school and doing that. Because when he first came into me with the idea, I was like, "You're bugging." <laughs> but then, you know, when he broke it down, so t- tell me the mind frame of when you seen so, that school and you thought about it. For example, right? Um, let me start with the school. Okay, the school is the old school five building in Patterson, New Jersey. It's been vacant for like 10, 15 years. Uh, it's just been sitting there. It's in a prime location. Is about a block away from the old Hinchcliffe Stadium, which is abandoned right now, and it's right by the Great Falls in Patterson. Believe it or not, we actually have a fall. Most people don't know that oh, about like Patterson. A waterfall? There's an actual yes. Like Niagara. Like Niagara. <laughs> like, way smaller scale. <laughs> yeah, smaller, but we actually have. Before. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that. Good. I did not know that. So eventually, hopefully, the top two floors of this school, you're going to be able to have the view of that. No, don't. You'll, you'll don't, be able to don't. see it. So. When I see properties like that, I base it on per unit, right? So say, for example, I bought the property. I think we've got that everything in, let's say, a million dollars, right? I would divide 50 units divided into a million, right? And that will give me kind of the number that I want to be at. So that's 16000 a unit, right? So I'm paying 16000 a unit as is, meaning not built yet. Right now, to give you an example, units in Patterson are selling for 100000 right? So if I take that and let's say it costs me, I don't know, uh, another 30000 per unit to build it, right? I'm at 46000 hmm. So I already Still know that 50, I got 60000 60, Just to give you, you know, I might be off a little yeah, bit, just to give you yeah. A, yeah. A, a rough estimate. So I know at that point with 60 units, that building, I got it for a million. Let's say I'm into it for about $4 million after construction and everything, right? A lot of people are like, oh, man, that's a big project. But realistically, I've been doing this for 13 years. I started with the smaller properties. This building to me is easy because it's an existing structure already. It's just me putting up walls. That's pretty much all it is. So at that point, with the numbers that we got into, we already know that building is going to be worth about $12 million because commercial properties are based on the income of the property. And we already know our rent row, what we could get probably between $1,400 a unit, let's say on the low end, we already know it's worth about $12 million. So now, just like... uh, when Lord of the Slums will explain to you what we, what we do, now you're talking about instead of on the refi, instead of taking out fifty, sixty thousand, now you're taking out five million dollars. So you could refi a building just like you could refi a home. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you already have the wind built in. Yep, it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's the same thing, just on a bigger scale. Right, so when you walked into this school, uh, hopefully, Envy, you walked into the school too, right? Mm-hmm. You see, there's a bunch of classrooms. 
at what point are you like, you know what, I could turn these 120 classrooms into 60 apartments and this is the square footage for each apartment? Like, how does that work? I mean, I, I, when we walked into the, the, the school, I mean, first of all, the first thing you see is you see laptops and computers that's 15 years old. So it's cool. It's cool as shit. You see like, oh, shit. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But, you know, the, the dope thing about it is you start really, when you start really conceptually to, and really put it in your mind, you'd be like, wow, you turn in this classroom, you're pretty much just closing a door and making this an apartment. And that's really what you're doing. If you think of your school, you think of on the second floor, you had 30 rooms. Those 30 rooms are now apartments. Mm-hmm. You're just really putting up walls, putting up electricity and putting up plumbing. That's an apartment. Second floor, 30 rooms, 30 apartments. Third floor. So it's not as difficult as it sounds, yeah. but then when you break through it, you'd be like, oh, it's not, it's not that bad. It ain't that, it, it ain't that hard, you know? Hmm. That's dope. So how do you have the pricing model? Like, how do you determine, like, okay, this is going to be $1,600 rent? Yeah. Like, how do you determine, just market or? Yeah, it's pretty much market. the market. And then uh, to give you a second example of developing, I got uh, 50 units approved on Main Street here in Patterson. Now, that's a little different because I'm buying from the ground up. I've never done it before. I'm building it up. I've never done it before. I'm not scared. I'm just going in there, you know, owing uh, for the first time. So, for example, on that particular property, I bought the lot for about 425000 right? Same thing that I just showed you. So, I divide it, and I'm, on that one, I paid about 8000 a unit, right? So, if you're in Bergen County or Hudson County, closer to New York, you could pay twenty thousand a unit up that way, just to give you guys a little bit of knowledge. For Patterson, eight thousand is better because we're not at that point where we could get twenty five hundred dollars an apartment yet. And at that point, I'm only going. The building's going to be six floors, right? The reason that it's only going to be six floors is because anything over six. And when I mean six, I mean first floor is going to be garages, and then five floors of apartments on top. So the reason that I can't go past uh, five floors over the garages because now it gets more expensive. Now you have to use steel instead of wood construction, mm. meaning, you know, framing mm. and stuff. Now you got to frame, you know, it's all steel beams. So in Patterson, we're not there yet compared to Hudson County or New York where you could go, you know, uh, 20 stories, 30 stories and get 2,500 to 5,000 an apartment. The most we could get right now is 1,700. So that's why if you look around all the new construction in Patterson, nobody goes past six floors. What's the political process? You guys um, have to get in good with the politicians to get approval for this stuff, or um, how does that work? No, nah, not really, man. Politicians are idiots. We do nice stuff for the community. We do toy drives. We do turkey drives. Yeah. We do a backpack drive. All yeah, those like, things count. Like at the beginning, yeah, absolutely. This guy's crazy. Um, just to give you guys an example, like when I first started, uh, I used to donate uh, to a lot of different uh, organizations, right? A lot of stuff with politicians. And I realized that whenever you do stuff like that, it doesn't really get to the community, right? So me and Envy and all of us, you know, we do a lot of stuff in Patterson and Fetty. We rather touch the people ourselves. So we now we take our own money and we have our own events to help the community. And these people actually come and they actually meet us. Like we're actually there shaking their hand, right? So that's kind of one of the things I don't mess with politicians too much. But as far as in my, in my business, it doesn't really matter if you're connected with politicians or not. Maybe in other places, other cities, it does, but they can't stop my vision. You know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's a numbers game. Real estate is a numbers game. If you buy right, you're always going to make money. Yeah. So in, in the terms of real estate, right, one of the biggest problems that people have with contractors, I've read somewhere that you hire contractors from within the community. 
Oh, yeah. What's that process like? Everybody that works for me is from Patterson, New Jersey. Like, everybody looks like me. Um, You know, everybody is from the hood. And, uh, you know, I help as many people as possible in the community. I even have a couple guys that work for me that were actually homeless, and I gave them an opportunity to come work for me. Like, uh, we give back to the community as much as possible, and the community gives back to us, too. So it's a win-win for everybody. You were telling us off camera about um, buying land. Yep. You said, like, it's a lot of opportunity and people don't fully understand that. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So pretty much right now, the market's on fire, right? Across the country, there's no inventory. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to know what's the next thing in real estate because everything is oversaturated. I think there's a great opportunity still with buying land because a lot of people kind of don't understand it a little bit. So it's one of those things. I'll give you an example. Uh, And this works for Newark, East Orange, Patterson, Passaic. You buy a piece of land for $50,000, right? You buy that piece of land for fifty grand. You build the house, let's say a two-family home for like one seventy-five, right? If you're really on your, on your numbers game, meaning you can't just hire a contractor and sell it. Oh, just do this for me. Like you gotta learn your numbers because this is where you could lose the most dollars at, right? So you got this property for fifty grand. You spend one seventy-five to build the house. Uh, you're at two and a quarter. But guess what? The market's so high now that a brand new construction, even in these urban areas, is worth four fifty, four seventy-five. So just to give you a, a quick recap, you hire an architect, you buy a piece of land, you tell them what your vision is, you check the zoning with the city, what's it approved for. If it's already zoned for that, then that's cool. You don't have to go in front of the zoning board or the planning board, right? Depends. Every city's different. So you get renderings from your architect, you bring it to the building department, they look at it, they approve it. Then after that process is done, now you got to go for your construction construction drawings once you pay the construction drawings are more expensive than your actual renderings the, your actual rendering is you probably talking about anywhere between two thousand to four thousand dollars right and I'm talking about one family home two family home about three thousand square feet so then you go for your construction drawings that's when they're gonna hit you a little harder now you're talking about ten fifteen thousand once you have your construction drawings you bring it down to the municipality the building department and they give you your actual permit so you can start your foundation and start working that's a step by step book right yeah. there. <laughs> Envy, I wanted to ask you a question. So I watched that T Pain interview and um so when he said like one of the reasons why he lost money was real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Um so can you speak on because I, nothing's all good, like you know what I'm saying? There's obviously there's always gonna be bumps in the road. Have you had any personal experiences where you lost money in real estate and like Mm-mm. No, never. I haven't lost. I haven't lost a, a cent. Knock on wood in real estate. Uh, the only the only problem I did have was in Detroit finding the right people to fix the house up. Um, a lot of times, when you go to these different markets and you're not from that market, trying to find somebody to do the construction is difficult. You know, what I mean, what, what you realize with a lot of construction people and a lot of construction crews, you know, they use your money to fix a job that they're working on. Mm. So then to fix your house, they got to find another job so they can get money to start working your project. And that was one of the things that was difficult. Like they weren't doing such a great job. And since you're not there, you can't really see. Like I I, I sold a crib now, so I can tell you, there was a, a dude in Detroit that, um, shout to Angela Yee, that Angela Yee put me on to, that was supposed to be fixing up one of my homes. And he started the work of fixing my home, so I told him what I wanted to do. The thing about Detroit is Detroit has a lot of big properties, but small bedrooms so one of the houses was like a seven or eight bedroom you didn't need that many bedrooms but the rooms were small so i was like instead of having eight bedrooms let's make it four make the rooms bigger you know 
So he, he broke broke down the walls, and then I go into the master bedroom, which is big, and I look, and there's tile on the wall. And I'm like, hmm, why is there bathroom tile on the wall? Like, this don't, this don't seem right. So I asked him, I'm like, yo, why is there bathroom tile <laughs> on the master bedroom wall, bro? He's like, he looking at me, he's like, because that's my style. <laughs> that's my touch. I'm like, motherfucker, I ain't pay you for your touch. Like, Autopilot, like, like come on now. But, but that's the problem that we face sometimes, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. That you don't find the right person fixing up these homes. And then, you know, thank God the person who bought my house bought it with the tile on the wall like that. <laughs> you know I mean? Because if not, I would have had to pay to do it over. Stays down too. Yeah, and, that, and that's what made me stop working on that house. I was like, yeah. right, I got to stop and I got to find somebody that's good that, that'll fix it. So I was already into that house, you know, maybe 30, 40 grand. 30, I'll say about 30 grand. But I stopped. And I was like, I'll just pay the taxes and wait till I find the right person. And then somebody seen the house and wanted to buy the houses, and I made them a deal where they could just take two, and they, they, they took the house. But those are some of the problems that we have. And here, it's pretty dope. You know, with Caesar has a team of people that go from house to house to house to house to house that you can trust, and they know what to do. You know what I mean? And just finding those people to work on the house is the most difficult. Caesar, you said something about uh, your paying uh, payments to contractors, right? Typically, people, they want 50% up front, but you've... Did you leverage that that uh, that method in a way to have installments? Like, oh, definitely, bro. Okay. Uh, the hardest part of the business is finding good contractors. Mm -hmm. Th that is the hardest part. I usually divide it into four to six payments because, like, say, same thing MV said. You give a contractor money, he's taking your money and finishing up the other job he has to over here or this job over here. Contractors are not good with money. The good thing is that. As, as you do um, go up different levels, when you get into commercial developing and doing bigger buildings, you, you and even the, with the two and the three families, now you're dealing with different kind of contractors that have to be bonded and insured. Not your everyday contractors where they actually have to wait about three weeks for the bank to approve their work they did before they cut a check. So it's different levels, but when you, you're first starting, that's the hardest thing, and you always want to break down your payments to at least four to six. Never half and half. That made me think of something. You need you need to be bonded when you doing commercial buildings. Like yes. Personal. How does that work? Personal guarantee. Yeah, especially let's say for example, if you go to a, let's say a conventional lender, uh, Valley National Bank or Banco Popular, right? They won't approve your contractor unless he's fully insured and bonded, and be able to pay his workers and his materials till the bank cuts him a check what about the and like the you do you have to have like a personal guarantee as a de, as the developer developer no nah, not really no? You know, my resume speaks for itself already okay you know of course you can't just be like okay i got a piece of land i want to build 100 units and nobody knows who the hell you yeah, are yeah, yeah. you know so at that point you know you might have to have partner up with somebody that you know has experience but that's when you get into the conventional world if you stick private financing, you can still go around the loopholes. And you can private finance even for a building that size? Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. yeah, pretty much private financing at this point, especially now because real estate is so hot and people are just throwing money at it. You could go 100 units or you could go one family. Doesn't matter. What are you going to name the building? Uh, the 15-unit the one, I, is, I actually named it after my daughter. Uh, Taylor Court is the name mm. of that one. Okay. All right, nice, nice. All right, so we're going to go into the last segment, and uh, yeah, we're going to drop some more gems. All right, so um, we're going to talk about uh, family businesses, mm -hmm. and um, as I said, uh, 
Chris Gotti, shout out to Chris. He was a great interview for us. And everybody knows that he has a family business with his brother, Herb. What I didn't know was that he was actually a millionaire before he came into the music business because he had a pretty sizable construction company with his sister Mm -hmm. in Queens. So long story short, we had a whole conversation about family business because he had two family businesses, right? And he had ups and downs. Um, But what I like about both of you guys is that you incorporate your family, right? Caesar, you actually, your family is like, the entity with your wife works and your, your mm-hmm. brother sister-in-law yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got a whole op- got a whole operation going <laughs> and then um envy mm-hmm. one of the things that you know is really you're big on on instagram is you're always showing your kids mm-hmm. you're always showing your wife you're always showing your family so yeah, did you like they said you all the best dressed family yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're always taking like <laughs> the, the pictures with the same I'm, clothes I'm on tra- i got two <laughs> kids i'm trying to figure out how you get the same clothes at everyone's size my man. wife does that yeah. I'm like, yeah. my wife handles all that man <laughs> so but i want so all right so i'll start with you envy um as far as it, it may not be a family business but how do you balance that work-life balance as far as obviously you got a lot of stuff going on you right. dj you're on the radio you're an entrepreneur you're doing real estate you're doing all kinds of different stuff and you got five kids right um, and a podcast with your wife. You got the podcast with your wife. Yeah. So, how do you balance that, and how important is that to have a supportive spouse to be an entrepreneur? I think it's something that people don't fully understand that it can either make or break you. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I've been with my wife for twenty five years. We've been married eighteen years. So, I, I think she she understands what the goal is, and the goal is to make sure that our kids are good. You know, I'm an only child, so. I didn't have any brothers or sisters growing up, but for me, it's like really owning our own stuff, you know what I mean? And and making sure that anything that we involve ourselves with, we have ownership in, you know? Um, Like I was saying before, sometimes it's it's just about what you do that can set you up, set your kids up later on, you know? Like real estate, you know, this, this, when I do this every day, I'm not doing this real estate shit for me. I mean, Caesar's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for his daughter. You know what I mean? I'm doing it for my kids. I want to make sure that we leave a legacy like a Trump and not Trump where the asshole president, but more like the Trump Towers, you know what I mean? The Rockefellers and things like that. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave, you know? And we try to do that with everything, you know, with with our record label, you know? Like, think about it. We dudes that, Caesar's not in the music, but he he has his own record label. What's the name of the record label? Uh, Cashflow. Cashflow Records. And we have an artist, Shalo Shack, which is a, a Dominican artist. If you look him up, he's already getting millions and millions and millions and millions of views. People don't need to know that we own that label, but this is all of how we look at life. And we look at life, which is the crazy part. We look at life how we look at real estate. Buy low, sell high. Same thing we did with the record label. We found a label. You know, we went in there. We we, we found an artist that we got for, uh, uh, we signed him for a low price. And now we sticking up the label to make sure that they do the job to make sure they push them the right way. And that's what we do with everything, whether it's the car shows, you know. Caesar's involved with the car shows. We, we find a venue, we get it in low, push the price up high, get a zillion and one people in there. Like, that's what we do for everything. And we try to do it in a family way. Like, you know, when I come here, sometimes my daughter's here, my older daughter's here. Sometimes my son is here. Sometimes my younger son is here. Sometimes my younger daughter's here. I want them to experience what daddy's doing. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I want to give it to them so they can continue on and, and, and continue keep you know creating that generational wealth. So my grandkids is good. My great grands is good. And that's what it's all about. So, so Caesar, how is it working with your family? Your whole, you got your whole family working. Yeah. Like, was was that something that you planned on, or that just kind of just happened? You know, um, it's one of those things as you get more successful that you can help your family. Uh, yeah. So my brother works for me. My sister in law. I got three little cousins. 
Uh, I got another little cousin that I'm flying in now to come work for me. And um, my wife, you know, she's my partner. I, I've been blessed that me and her are both hustlers. So my wife hustles as hard as I do. This is her office, by the way. That we're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you see pink chairs. Yeah. So you, you see man. pink chairs. This is her office. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And um, that, that, you know, God has blessed us where we can help our whole family. So pretty much every cousin of mine, every uncle, whatever, they're all involved in some part of real estate. They all have rental properties or they dump flips. And, you know, I've been able to help all of them. So it's kind of like, you know, creating a family empire. Legacy. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah, legacy strong, man. So yeah. you two, how long have you known each other? Like, it feels like y'all have known each other forever. Maybe a year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, year, it right? feels like y'all are like family at this yeah. point, the way y'all move around. Well, you know, when you spend that much time with somebody, you got to think we're on the road with each other all the time. Right. We're in the office all day. It's like um, when I leave a breakfast club, nine times out of ten, I spend the rest of the day with, with C's, whether we're looking at properties, whether we're online, we're planning. You know, we, we always plan what's next, like what we want to do next. And we try to do a lot for the community. Like, that's the main thing is, is how we can get more people that look like us investing in buying homes, you know? Yeah. How can we give back to the community? So we spend a lot of time in the same quarters, you know? Yeah, I think one of the, uh, the most, like, astonishing things about your grind is, like, people will ask me and they ask Rashad all the time, like, how are y'all managing to do all these things in 24-7? But, like, you're saying, like, you're going from the breakfast club. You probably, what time you get in there? Like, Five in the morning? Yeah, breakfast club. If I wake up at four, get to the breakfast club around right 5, after 15. That, right after that, you're doing this. Sometimes you might have to fly out of state to do a show and yeah. then come back and do a breakfast club. Like That 24-hour like grind is real for you. I mean, yeah, it, it is real. And um, you get tired at times. I don't drink coffee, so it's not like I drink something to keep me up. You know what I mean? I, I don't sniff Coke or use crack, so that doesn't keep me up. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's just the, the fact of, of what I want more. Like For me, it's, it's things that inspire me. Like... What inspires me right now is is what I hate is is I hate going in the airport and waiting on that line and then there's a delayed flight and you're stuck uh, in the airport sucks. for five, six hours. So now what's inspiring me is like I want to make enough bread where me yeah. and C's got a private jet. Yeah. So we can just take that jet and be like, boom, and, and it's, it's not like it's far-fetched. Like we're in yeah. the process of, of hopefully when we talk to y'all next, this time next year, yeah. it'll be on the jet and we can do the podcast mm -hmm. on the jet. I think uh, we just saw that. Like I think Grant Cardone uh, has said that. He was like, a Lamborghini is cool, but if I have to have a meeting in London, I can't take a Lamborghini. Now, you, you, know you know what? You know what? I got a lot of backlash from my personal friends. We had a big time passes a few years ago, and they had a plane, and they were saying, Mike, he was saying, and they were saying, he was saying that, no, 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 he was saying that it's necessary. And I'm like, yo, it's really necessary. And they're like, it's not necessary. I'm like, nah, it is. It's, yeah. it's so much stress. You got to fly every day. Like, it's stressful. Like, it is. It's like that private plane is but, like a necessary. But I would say with, with, the, with the pastor, what I didn't like is, is I know what you're talking about. The pastor was asking for money for the to congregation to pay for it, which I thought was wrong. Yeah. We don't ask nobody for nothing. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a necessity. That, that's a convenience. You know what I mean? It's like flying first class. I mean, like, I got to fly first class. You don't really have to. It's a convenience that you want to pay for. And for me, like you said, my mental health and my mental well-being, I would love to, instead of going to the airport two hours early, waiting for delays, I'd rather fly there and spend the rest more of that time with my kids if I can afford it. Yeah, it's the most valuable asset you can't get back. Exactly. I'm not at that place right now where I want to be, where I can buy it and be comfortable. Like I said, I gotta make sure an asset. <laughs> asset over liability. <laughs> so until we get to yeah, exactly. So when we get to that point, which is coming up yeah. shortly, then we'll buy it. And you know, it's you know, we'll, it, we'll it, like I said, we, when me and C's do something, we make sure it pays for itself. So me and C's will probably be using it on the weekends, but Monday through Thursday, we're making money. We're making money off that jet. Nah, rent it, rent it out. Rent that out. Absolutely. Just pop. That's a fact. Absolutely. Two words shortly. One of the things that one of the things I like about you is that you've leveraged. You leverage your position very well. So 
you're a DJ, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, artists, they need you to play your record. Correct. So now, how it looks to me, at least, so you've leveraged that with the car show, and now the artists come and bring their cars in, right? You've mm -hmm. established good relationships. Then you have a huge platform. You're on a breakfast club, which is the biggest outlet. Now you've established that to promote the real estate business, right? Mm -hmm. So you do a lot of cross-promotion. Absolutely. Um, so can we talk about the car show? Yeah. Like, what inspired you to do the car show? And, like, what's the business model behind the car show? So, you know, with, with the car show, when it came to leverage, it, it's not necessarily that I use the leverage. I call my friends. Hmm. You know, if you think about the car show and, and the main artists that are on that car show, it's 50 Cent, who's my, who, who's my brother. It's Fabulous, who's my brother. It was Cardi B, who I supported her early in her career when she needed it. And that's who I used the first year. You know, the second year, 50, my brother, Fab, my brother. Instead of Cardi B, I use Cardi B and Offset's car, same same lane. Uh, Michael Strahan, mm. um, Swiss Beats, who's, who's somebody that I've known so far in the career. And that's pretty much it. We got a bunch of currency. Uh, who else is on there? Uh, Pusha T, who I know when I was when I went to school in Hampton. These are people that I really fuck with, that okay. I genuinely have their numbers in my phone. Okay. Um, so the idea of the car show is I wanted to do a car show. I've always been a car show fan. I've been to so many different car shows, and I've seen things that I liked. I've seen things that I didn't like. So I said, I want to put together something that I think everybody would love. So when I came up with the idea of the car show, I said, I want to do a family day car show where there's jumpies and bounce houses for kids. There's stuff for women, whether it's hair braiding, whether it's getting facials from Sephora. And then if the guys just want to look at cars, they can look at cars. And that way they can bring their wife and bring their kid and not feel like, damn, I got to leave my wife at home. Because, you know, if anybody's married or you got a girl, when you leave, your wife or your girl look at you funny. Like, you going where to look at some cars? But now it's like, nah, babe, come on, bring the kids out. There's something for the kids. There's face paint and you can come here. And now I could chill for an hour and two, look at cars and, and be happy and then not worry about my wife stressing me out because she's there too. So I wanted to create that. Thank uh, you, Envy. I see. <laughs> the reason we do it indoors is because I remember going to the car shows and then it would be like, damn, if it rains, it ruins it. Yeah. Now it's indoors. I ain't got to worry about the heat. I ain't got to worry about the rain. It's it's all indoors. So that's why we did it did it indoors. But when I first came up with the concept to do the car shows, everybody laughed at me. It was like, car shows is whack. Nobody's doing car shows no more. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try it on my own. And, you know, one thing about me and C's is, is we don't look back. Like, you know, I have an assistant. He has an assistant. We do shit on our own. I, I found a venue. I called. They said the venue was 25000 I said, all right, I'm going to put this investment in. I'm going to pay for it. And, you know, the first car show last year, which was the first one, all I wanted was 1,500 people in there. I was like, if I get 1,500 people in there, it'll look good, it'll look decent, and then I'll figure out how to grow from there. After I did it last year, we had 5,000 in there. Mm -hmm. yeah. So once you get those type of numbers, now everybody wants to be a part of the car show. Yeah. You got sponsors, you got, and shout out to Lincoln Tech, because Lincoln Tech was, they believed it and they, from the beginning. But now the station's behind it. Yeah. But at first, everybody was like, ah. Now to the point where it's like we have three weeks left. I don't know what this is going to air, but we have three weeks left to the pop, to the to the car show, and we have just as many people now as we had the day before last year. Wow. So we're going to double that number this year, and it, and it's and it's dope. It's, it's great. It's great to see. It's it's fun to do. You know, now at a point where like artists really want to be a part of it. Fifty Cent is is doing cars for the car show. Yeah. Fab is is setting up his cars for the car show. Michael Strahan is giving me cars for the car show. So now it's fun, you know, and it's it's something, and that's what I want. I want the family to come out and, and really enjoy it. I don't promote artists performing. 
because I don't want it to be about the artist performing. You know, I don't want the I don't want the riffraff. I don't want you coming to see this artist and you tough. Now I want you to come with your girl and your and your son and have a good time. Now they are gonna be artists performing. It's gonna be a surprise performance. Like, oh shit, so and so just came. He just got on stage and started rapping, and that's what I want. You know, mm-hmm. same thing like you know, with Fifty came last year. So many different artists gonna come this year. I just want people to have a good time, and everything else is a surprise. Come, come for the cars. Y'all do something like is that before the car show? Where y'all pull out all these foreign cars and like y'all just drive? We do a rally, so. We we, oh we do this rally and we rally all over the country, kind of like a gumball if you were a kid. You watch the old uh, gumball movies and we just drive and, and, and what we do is, <laughs> this is what I call it, it's a way with people with money to give back. So for instance, we had a rally this weekend and everybody involved had to pay $500. And that $500 we rallied, we would drive from let's say New York to upstate to a pool party in Long Island. And that money went to giving backpacks to all the kids across the tri-state area. We raised enough money to buy 14,000 backpacks with supplies in them. And it's just a matter of a bunch of guys coming out and saying, I just want to do some good and have some fun. It's cool to give 500, but if you can give 500 and then go on a rally, like, you know, like it's not a race, but like a rally through the city and a bunch of exotic cars. And then you end at a pool party, there's food and you have a good time. That's fun. You know what I mean? So we, we we do that every year. Shout out to PCNY. We do that for Thanksgiving. We do that for toy drives and Christmas. We do that uh, in the city every Wednesday to, and we feed the homeless. And that's it's kind of like taking, giving back and making it fun. You know, where people want to do it. Nice that's look. dope. That's dope. All right. So now we're going to talk about what you guys are currently doing with the seminars, right? So, okay. What, A, inspired you to do the seminars? And also, can we talk about the business model of seminars? Because seminars are huge and it's a profitable business. We don't apologize for making money. I think that anybody should be able to make money if you're providing a service, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you are a barber, you do a good job, you should get paid with a tip. So I don't see I don't see anything wrong with making money from education. Colleges do it all the time. Um, but some people still kind of have that framework, right? Like mm-hmm. you charging for this information. Yeah, it's, it's value. I'm adding value. I should be charging. So, all right. Um, what made you guys do seminars and how do you determine like, what's an appropriate price to charge for your seminar and you know, kind of the business model behind that? I mean, I, I think um, you guys been to seminars before? Different seminars? Went to your seminar. Yeah, we went to your seminar. Yeah, I, you ever been to any other seminars? Went to Matt's seminar. All right. Matt, Matt, Matt's my guy. <laughs> but if you go to any seminars, you, you notice that seminars are, if, even if you Google and you look it up, you know, they charge $250 for seminars, mm-hmm. $500 for seminars. And then when you get to that seminar, they upcharge you. To talk to certain people, they charge you a couple of thousand dollars. So, to when you leave a seminar, it couldn't cost you anywhere from three to five thousand to ten thousand uh, dollars. And we understood that people were actually getting got. Um, and there's a difference between making money and killing people, and and really getting over on people. So, you know, when we came up with the idea of the seminar, it was more to teach people how to get into investing. So, if you think about it, if you if you come to uh, any of our seminars, it's not just me and and Caesar talking. You don't have to have an upcharge to you know to talk to me and Caesar. We bring everybody to get you to where you need to be to buy your first property or to buy an investment home. You know, we bring the credit person first. You know, he talks first. If you you know you got to fix your credit, your credit got to be at a, a certain score to be able to get lending. Then after the credit guy speaks and tells you where your credit needs to be and how to fix your credit, we bring in 
a conventional lender. That's Matt, by the way. <laughs> but then we have Matt. <laughs> but, but we have Matt come up, and Matt is the conventional guy. And Matt talks about lending and how he can get people loans. And then from there, we explain what a hard money lender is. And we have a hard money lender coming in and talk and explain what that process is. Then we have Sabine, which is an attorney. She's there and tells you why you need to create an LLC and what's the process of creating an LLC. And then depending on what market we have, we have a local agent that tells you what the hot spots are in the area and what you should be looking at. And then from there, we usually take a short break. And then when we come back, we usually have auction.com where we get a lot of our properties from. And they show you how to navigate through the site to actually purchase properties. And then Caesar and I break down all of that of how we did it, what we did, and, and you know the, the process of us doing it. But there is no upcharge. Like if you want to call Matt and talk to Matt, he doesn't say, okay, well, to talk to me is $500. To talk to me is $1,000. There is no upcharge. If you want to call a credit guy because you have a question, he's not going to say, okay, well, you got to give me $1,000. If you want to email Caesar or email me, we don't say, okay, well, to talk to us, it's, it's this amount of money. We don't do that because it's genuinely to help our people. So, yeah, you might have to pay $99 to, to get into the seminar, but I'll be honest with you, nothing in this world is free. Right. We still got to fly there. We still got to get there. We got to print pamphlets. We got to rent the venue. We got to get hotels and all that. Like, we have to pay for things. It's not like mm -hmm. it's free. It's not like we have McDonald's as a sponsor or State Farm as a sponsor and they're giving 100 grand for that. Nah, it's not that at all. You know, we're grinding from the bottom up. And it's like we try to do as much as we can and make sure that people can actually afford it and they can actually get in. You know what I mean? So... And the reason we started that is because we wanted to teach people. We've seen all these people doing seminars, really getting over on our people, being car salespeople, you know, selling them the world, you know, playing off of people's hopes. And that shit ain't right. You know what I mean? That shit ain't right. And it's, it's going to get to a point. I told myself, and, and I'll be honest, I didn't even tell Caesar this. I woke up uh, this weekend and I really felt like God was telling me to start shitting on people. And not shitting on people in a, in, in a way like, you know, shitting on them, but like exposing people. Because I'm tired of hearing people save 10 grand. They give somebody 10 grand and that's their life savings. And then they fuck that money up. Mm -hmm. Where if you would have went to my seminar and our seminar, spent $99, you would have known how to invest that 10 grand and you would have had an investment property. That's the, that's the difference. You know what I mean? So it's going to get to the point. And, 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 and I'm sure a lot of people listen to this podcast. I'm just telling you, if you're doing people dirty and you're doing people wrong, it's only a matter of time before I start exposing. <laughs> Ether. Exposure program. Ether's coming. Right? <laughs> and usually this ain't my tone. This is how Caesar feels. Caesar's the one I want to expose early. But it's getting to the point where I can't see my people lose money dealing with you clowns and jokers. Right? And I know a lot of you, and it's not just our own people. It's the people across the board that don't necessarily look like us that target our audience because... It's foul. It's wrong. We get emails and texts and calls all day long about money that you guys take. And I'm just saying, start doing right by our people, man. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't been to one of the seminars, you got to check it out. We sat in attendance with it and we watched people literally taking notes with notepads while recording at the same time so they didn't miss anything. Well, let me ask y'all a question. Y'all went to our seminar. What right. did y'all what, what think? And, and what, we, what, I, what we like to do is we like to leave the comments open yeah. for people that attended our seminar so they can say what they like or what they didn't like. Yeah. And yeah. out of all our seminars, we got one complaint. Mm. Out of, we did 12? Yep. 12 seminars, one complaint. Lady said she couldn't find parking. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only complaint we got. She came late and said she couldn't find parking. And, and 
I'm like, Mama, I'm sorry. You know, I, I can't, I can't do everything for you. I can't, yeah. I can't valet for you either. But you've been to the same. Nah, I, 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 I personally think that it was dope. I think yeah. that it was dope, and to see, like, we knew a lot of people that was already there right. from the podcast, but to see each person individually get on and perform and 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 share their information, it was very well put together, and it was um, once again in a language that. The general public can understand. I'm very big on that because yeah. I'm so I'm a financial advisor for a living, and I see that in my industry all the time where people talk, they make easy things very complex, yep. right? And they do that for two reasons: a to make themselves seem smarter, and yep. also to confuse people. You can really position anything if you confuse people enough. Correct. You could get them to buy anything, dirt. Yeah. If you make it, her say if they don't fully understand it, but it seems like it's is attempting, then they'll do it, and people do that all the time. Yep. So I think that. Your you guys seminar was really dope because a it's real life experience yeah. and you brought different people on. It wasn't just like one person yeah. saying like I'm the Google of all things. Yeah. So yeah. from my experience, I, I, thought it was dope. I thought it was commendable, man. Just coming from an education standpoint, like you are a professor when you're up there, right? And a lot of times people lose attention because it's the same person giving the message. When you have nine different people, it's like oh I, I need to hear what this person says. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then to see the feedback from the crowd was like wait, I literally sat next to a woman who was recording and she wasn't even looking at y'all. She was writing and just recording. I'm like, yo, this is serious, serious, man. And I had never seen anything like that. I haven't seen our people come together for this moment, right? Like, mm -hmm. real estate is not something that's discussed. Like, mm -hmm. some, but most of these people haven't bought a home or are first-time buyers. And I think y'all had, at the one we were at, um, one of the audience members had been to a, pr a previous one, and he was he just got his first home. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah so now. I was just like damn, this is crazy, man. Like, they, mm -hmm. this is something special y'all got going. And I'm big on what you said, and I'm glad you said it. A lot of people don't get it, is I like to talk to people like they're a third grader. And it's not for disrespect. It's because a lot of times things go over people's heads. And a lot of time what our pride is, we're so prideful that we never like to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So, like, even with the Breakfast Club, like, if you see the Breakfast Club and they talk about something, I'm like, yo, and they, you know, you always used to make fun of me. Be like, I'd be like, yo, explain what so-and-so is. Yeah. People are like, ah, people know what this is. Nah, this nah is I know like, don't. Don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I go into a, a seminar, i be like, yo, you know what a hard money lender is? And they'd be like, yeah. Nah, not really. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But that's what you're supposed to be there for, yeah, to right. learn that. And that's how. That's why I talk to everybody like I'm talking to a third grader, because I really want to explain so they understand. It's, you pay $99 and you really still don't understand what. how, how does that benefit you? But if I talk to you and I dumb it down, because like with Caesar, like sometimes I'm like, yo, Caesar, man, you're talking over my head, bro. Like yeah. dumb that shit down. Yeah. And you dumb it down and now I understand it. Now I got it for life. Yeah. And what I find too, not to cut you off, Caesar, but what I find too is that just being an advisor, people are funny. They don't, they won't tell you they don't understand something. They'll just nod their head because nobody wants to seem like they, they're the dumbest person in the room, right? So they'll just nod their head and then they just won't understand it, right? So it's like up to like even with our podcast, a lot of times I'll, I'll already know the answer to the question, but I like to ask it right. again. So it's like, cause I know that if I'm having trouble comprehended, I guess a lot of other people are as well. Right. And I want to make sure that everybody gets it. And there's no shame. There's no shame in not being knowledgeable about something because we all have to learn on a certain level. A lot of times people are embarrassed if they don't know, but they don't teach financial literacy in school for the most part. And if your parents don't teach you, how are you going to learn? Yeah. So this is why your platform is so important. This is why what we do is so important. But Cesar, you say you want to say something? So see, like well, the reason, the thing behind our seminars is, right, every single seminar we get better, right, because we keep on adding different things. But it's kind of like, you know, to put it in a funny way, it's like me, Envy, Fernando, my wife, all of us are going back in time in the time machine 
And which what we're putting together is the stuff that wasn't there when we started. You know, where there was nobody to talk to us about a hard money lender or conventional financing. Oh, what's loan to value? What's the difference between the short sale? So it's kind of like we're going back and breaking it down to people in a way that nobody did for us. So to make it easier for people that look like us and for our communities. So that's pretty much one of the biggest reasons behind the seminar. It's nobody taught us, and now we want to teach people like us. Nah, I think yeah. it's dope, man. So first and foremost, we want to thank you guys, man. We appreciate it. Before, before we wrap it up, though, Troy has a question. Oh, man. Yeah, I actually yeah. got two. But two. Uh, I was thinking, because I, I watched your Instagram page, both of you, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, has any TV network come to y'all, like HGTV or DYI, in, in terms of like, listen, this is too good. What you guys are really doing is really flip a fix. Like I, I saw on E the other day that they gave Scott Disney a show about flipping. I'm like, this looks, it looks like a joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> these guys are really doing this. Like, why, like, has that happened or is that something that yeah, y'all looking forward even, to? Even they did, the, uh, they gave Suge Nice on a, a, a show too. Yeah. I mean, I think, about real estate? Yeah. I think a lot of it is um, bullshit. Um, right. Like, but I also think it, it's when it's our time, it's our time. And, and, and the difference with me and Caesar is, I think, and Caesar will tell you, we don't need the money. Right. So if it's not brought to us the right way, we will pass. Okay. You know what I mean? So even with the real estate show, I think, you know, for us, I think we're just gonna create our own. You know, we got the we got the money, we put up our own money and and shoot our own and shoot what we want out there. Yeah. You know, we got a other a bunch of other things in, in the work. But I mean I mean, I think any producer out there would look and say, damn, these dudes are really doing That's it. My mind, it's not a yeah, joke. Right. Like it's not a game. They're not tricking people. Like they're really out there doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? But and I guarantee you, Scott Disney does not have more properties than me. <laughs> and I guarantee, I guarantee he doesn't have more properties than Caesar. You know what I mean? And I'm and Suge's son are the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is what we do. And not to shit on them uh, on their shows, but you know, it's it's real. This is yeah. real. All right. So that that was the first question. The second one, just this did, is the question I really want to know. Yeah, man. I mean, we are diehard music fans, and I, I and anybody knows that listens like Benny Siegel's in my top five for all time. Shout this is one of my favorite rappers. And you two had a moment, man, and I'll never forget it. It was Empire Strike, Empire Strikes Back to mixtape, mm-hmm. and um, we're, we're for now one for shout out to shout out to Kiss, shout, shout out to no Yonkers. disrespect to Kiss, but um, I know what you're gonna ask. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dog. There's another verse. Was there another verse? You you cut him off right there. I never. I heard like we played that song so much, like it was an actual. Wait, single. If anybody's not familiar with what he's talking about, so Beanie Siegel and Kiss had a legendary battle. Like we love, we love, we love Kiss. We love Kiss. Yonkers. Like we're from Westchester. Kiss lost that battle. It's, it's not even a discussion. But that he did it over. What beat was that? It was the uh, Get the, Your Hands Up. Yeah, yeah. He did it over that. Yeah, and he was up. rhyming yeah. for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. He said, "Come on." But bro. it seems like there's another there's verse. Another verse. Is there another verse? Did you stop it right there? Like, because mm-hmm. the right after is you go whoa, and then Jay's like starts talking. I'm like, damn. He said, "Come on, dog. There's another verse." I know the funeral home got a stash Reverend got another hearse, and then you stop him. You want to hear it? Yeah. Is there another verse? Is another? There was another verse. Um, I mean, that was a good time in mixtapes. I think that was the that mixtape and the uh, the mixtape where I played uh, hit him up. Tupac was probably my biggest mixtapes, but yeah, there was another verse. That was you and Lenny S that did that together. Me and Lenny S, yeah. I mean, that was that was the best times. I mean, Beanie Siegel was one of the nicest rappers ever. That yeah, he don't yo, necessarily get his, his no props, but it was it was that was a good time, man. And those battles were great. There was another verse. Um, part of, of me playing it, 
they only wanted me to play two verses <laughs> and they gave me the whole three and I just played the part of it to let niggas know that I had the third verse. Yo. But the reason they didn't want to put the third verse out is because Beanie thought it was the beat was going to keep going so he still had oh, ammunition. Because they, they went up to the station after that mm -hmm. and he did another one. Yep. A, a comedian from, he's from Queens I think. He actually- Queens Flip. Yo, he yeah. came into the station. <laughs> dying for that verse. Yeah. There was another verse that was just as raw, just nah. as nasty, Yo, just as dirty. Who won, who, who, won, who won the battle in your opinion? At that time, it was it was Siegel. Siegel. It was Siegel, Siegel at that time. Yeah, it was definitely Siegel at that time. Yeah. We gonna meet Siegel. Yeah. We gonna meet Siegel. Shout, shout out to Siegel. Yeah, Siegel's right. a good dude, man. Yeah, shout out. We coming to Philly, so shout out to Siegel in Philly. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, got um, what's the what's the next for you guys? To let the people know as far as the seminar or the car show or anything you got going on social media, anything like that. Tuesday. Uh, so we just left LA. So um, coming up next, we're doing Atlantic City. That's the twenty eighth and 29th. And what we do in Atlantic City is kind of different. Uh, the first day is a two-day seminar in Atlantic City. So Saturday, what we're doing is we're doing a ride-along where we're going to be taking people to a bunch of different properties, single-family, multi-units, uh, probably vacant lots. Uh, we're going to be doing that Saturday. And then Saturday night, we're going to do a mixer with everybody from auction.com. Uh, Matt will be there. We'll be there. It's kind of like a mixer where we can talk and you can ask questions. And then Sunday, we're going to have a seminar where we break down a lot of stuff that we've talked about today, but not only that, we're going to break down a lot of the stuff that we've seen. So for somebody out there that's in, and, and I don't want people to think it's only about Atlantic City. Uh, if you think about it like this, it's going to be whatever you we talk about Atlantic City, you can base it on LA, you can base it on Detroit, you can base it on New York. So we're going to go to a house and we're going to show you a house that needs work. And then we're going to show you exactly what you need to do to fix that house up, whether it's demo, how much the demo should cost for that yep. property, construction, framing, uh, plumbing, you know, electrician, and we're going to break down step by step what you need to do to make that happen. So that way people can get a clear, concise, oh, that's what I need to do. And we're going to break that down. That's going on September 28th and September 29th in uh, Atlantic City. So, and we're only taking a small group of people. So, you know, usually with our, our seminars, we get thousands of people. We're not doing it this time. It's going to be a small group of people because we got to bust people around, show them the properties. We got to stay there with them. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, Something that we really, really looking forward to. And then we got something coming up in Houston. Remember the date? October 13th. And then we're going to Atlanta again. November 17th. November 17th. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Spread awareness and get people to come out and start investing in homes. Yo, yo. Caesar, anything you got you want to tell people? Um, no, I think real estate is one of the greatest ways of achieving wealth in this country. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, I think a lot of times in our communities, people make excuses but, you know, you could be working at Walmart or Target and making $30,000 a year and you could afford to buy a multifamily home with an FHA mortgage. You could start with a small investment like that of $9,000, $10,000. You could get a gift from a family member. You know, uh, I think um, real estate is the way, man. It's a great time to invest in real estate. It's a great time to flip. Like I said, I started with no money. My first deal, you know, I had to borrow money from my parents, pawn my jewelry, Put on my wife's engagement ring, sell our car, just to make that first deal happen. Started with no money. Now here I am, 13 years later, we're almost, you know, I want to estimate today, almost $60, $70 million in real estate. Money, money making real estate. It makes money every single month, and it's going to make money for the rest of my life. And when I'm gone, my family's good forever. And if I did it, with my background, being a street dude, uh, a felon, anybody could do it. <laughs>